There's a call going out across the land in every nation. A call to all who sway allegiance to the cross of Christ. A call to true humility to live our lives responsibly, to deepen our to the cross at any price. Let us then be sober, moving only in the spirit. As aliens and strangers in a hostile foreign land, the message will his repentance and forgiveness, the offer of salvation to the dying race of man. To love the Lord our God is the heartbeat of our mission, the spring from which our service the passion of the flame, spilling light unsparingly throughout a darkened room. Let us burn to know him deeper than a service flaming bright. We'll radiate his passion.
I probably don't need this, but I'm going to use it anyway. Good morning, everyone. Glad to have you here to kick off our missions conference this morning. We already did in the first hour. You missed a great presentation by Steve and Becky and Wyatt in their respective mission fields, and we're so glad to have them here with us. First of all, I want everyone that's a missionary that we support to please stand up. There's one in the back. Man, we're a little, oh, behind me too. Oh, you're Bob and Judy. Yes, okay, there you are. Well, we're really glad to have you all here this morning with us. The Cochran's and Brian Reed back there, Bob and Judy. So we're real happy to have you. Hopefully you all got the missions brochure that you saw out there in the lobby. It tells about all the different speakers and a bio on each one. And we're so happy that they're all here so far today. And we look forward to next week as well. Next thing I want to talk about are the passports. You all remember these from several years ago? This is the one for 2023. It's blue. looks just like your passport that you get now. And this talks about all our mission trips here in, in 2023. So please uh, look at this to pick them up as you leave. And the ushers will be planning them out, plant, passing them out as you leave this morning. Then the red one is for next year, 2024. So if you're not able to go this year, you can look here and see what's coming up for next year. One of them is going to be with Steve and Becky and Juno at Echo Ranch next year, Lord willing, that they desperately need some help uh, because there's a lot of construction projects and other projects that are going on there, and they talked about that a good bit this morning. So we really want you to pick up one of these for next year and be, be excited about going on that. So that's all I have. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll continue our service. There we go. Uh, it's good to see everybody here in the service today. And uh, all over the world, all over the world, people are praising the Lord. It's a good thing to know that not just us is here. Everybody, uh, all over the world, people are doing it. And so that's what this song is going about. May the peoples praise you. Let's all stand as we sing, maybe.
Good morning from Nampa, Idaho, MAF's headquarters for operations around the world. Greetings to uh, all of you at Deerfoot. MAF likes to use three words, help, hope, and healing to describe what we do around the world with these airplanes. We help people through our community development flying. Maybe it's putting in clean water. Maybe it's helping them build a school or a church, whatever it may be to help them in their lives. Healing, we do a lot of medical emergency flights, preventative flights where we take doctors and nurses and dentists into communities. But we do all this because of the flying we do for hope. And that is an eternal hope that people come to realize there's a God that created them, that loves them dearly, and has given his son so that they can reconcile with their creator. So our airplanes fly in some of the most remote parts of the world, taking the good news of Jesus. Lynn and I have enjoyed MAF as an organization for the past 44 years. We are very, very grateful to Deerfoot and your support over this time. Revelation 7, verse 9 says, I looked out as far as I can see people in white, holding palm branches in their hand, singing out, salvation comes from God and the Lamb. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And MAF has been a part of that, and you all have been a part of that. What a great day that will be when we'll all be together singing praises to Jesus. Thank you, Deerfoot, from Gene and Lynn. Hello, Grace Community Church. Thank you so much for your support and ministry. My name is Jessica Berkmeyer, and this is my husband, Joe Berkmeyer. We're with Mars Hill Productions, and Joe has prepared a special little piece for you today so that you can see what's going on and what he's been working on. My name is Joe Berkmeyer, and I'm on staff at Mars Hill Productions. We work on The Hope Project. The Hope is an amazing movie. It tells the whole story of the gospel, the main theme of the, of the Bible, from Genesis through Christ. The Hope is now in over 70 languages. That's incredible and has been seen in every country in the world. It is such an amazing project. But I'm here to tell you today about a very exciting new tool that we're working on. This project is called PG Studio. PG Studio is an all-in-one tool on an Android mobile device that will allow you to translate and record. And all the recordings will go in the exact location where they're supposed to be. And today, I'm going to show you a quick demo of this app. What I want to show you right now is this very top part here called the source panel. The source panel is where you're seeing all your scripts. As a translator, you can do an oral translation or a text translation. In this source panel top, which is this area right here, I can hit this little three-dot icon and it brings up more options for my source panel where I can switch it from audio and video to text and audio. So now I can read my text while I play my text audio. About time, people have considered the world in which we live. I'm going to show you a quick scene 
where the angel visits Mary. And I'm going to do a recording and then play it back. And watch how in sync it is with video. An angel from God told her she would bear a son. Okay, I'm going to stop there and I'm going to record this. An angel from God told her that she would bear a son. Pause. So I did a record pause. Now I'm going to continue the source player. I'm going to go ahead and hit play. And that she was to name him Jesus, which means the Lord is our deliverance. Okay, let's continue. And she is to name him Jesus, which means the Lord is our deliverance. Okay, so I just did the recording. Now we're going to play it back. Angel from God told her that she would bear a son. And she is to name him Jesus, which means the Lord is our deliverance. What I just demonstrated is doing a recording to an already created script. There is a complete process in this app. We have a translation process, a bat translation process, there's a review process, a community review process that involves a team of people, there's a final review process, and then there is the final step for final record. What is the purpose of all these steps? Well, it's simple. Try to get the, the most accurate translation as possible, either using written or audio recordings. At the very end, you're going to export out a final movie and the phone will automatically put together all the, all the recordings together and put it with an MP4 to make one movie. And then you can share it right away. I believe God's given this vision to us at Mars Hill to steward and to create. We're going to give it our best to do what God asked us to do. And he's got us through this far and I know he's going to get us through the rest of the way to the end of this project. We can't wait to show you more. Thank you. Thank you, Grace Community Church.
Amen. That's the kind of song the choir loves to sing. Jesus saves. And we should proclaim it because he saves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that you (laughs) sent your son to die on the cross. Lord, that you save. Jesus saves. And we, Lord, are so thankful for that. So thankful, Lord, that he saves us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And, Lord, we think about this. We think about it. We know, Lord, that Christ alone saves us. Nothing we do in life, Lord, can save us. Lord, going to church can't save us. Serving, serving the church and being religious can't save us, Lord. We know, that, we know that our family, our friends, our mom and dad, they can't save us. Politics can't save us. Any, any duty we want to comply to in life can't save us. Any walk we want to, it can't save us, Lord. Only Jesus can save us. And he said, I've come into the life to save sinners. Come into the world to save sinners. Come unto me, all ye that heavy uh, and are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And, and he said, come to me, and I'll give you life. And, Father, the life that we, we, we seek here on earth is found only in Jesus Christ. And, Father, I trust everyone here knows you today. And, Lord, if, if we really believe that you save, then how can we contain that? That's what that song is saying. It's saying he saves, and we should proclaim it to the world. And so, Lord, how much more should we go out and proclaim these things? If we really believe that, across the street, around the world, everywhere we go, Father, I pray that we would be keenly aware of the opportunities the Holy Spirit brings into our life, the opportunities he gives us to proclaim that Jesus saves, to share the gospel with people around us. Father, open our eyes, open our mind, open our heart to people. Help us to know you and to go out and proclaim you to the world. Father, I know that we're here promoting our missions conference, and it's a big event one time a year, but, Lord, it's day in, day out, really. Lord, that great commission you gave us, it's a commission to live that life day in and day out, to love you and to serve you and to surrender to you and to declare you to the world. Father, I pray that we would be ambassadors for Christ. Lord, I pray we'd reconcile the world to you, be used of you anywhere. Say when, say where, Lord, we're yours. I pray that would be our heart and our attitude as we go through this conference this week and next week. I pray you would use us in a mighty way. Lord, give us boldness. Lord, we are so scared, and yet we'll shout at a football game where we we shout about things of excitement, but when it comes to this thing, Lord, we tend to be quiet. So help us to open our minds and our hearts, and just open our minds and our hearts, Lord, and our mouths, and use us for your glory. And we just thank you, Lord, for the morning. We thank you for the service. We pray that you'd bless the speakers this morning. And, Lord, just have us to have uh, open hearts, open minds, open ears. And, Lord, I pray that you would convict us where conviction needs to be convicted in our own mind and heart. And, Lord, I pray you would um, lead us, God, Lord, to, uh, to, to surrender more to you. Lord, more of our life to you. Use us for your glory. And I thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have the great privilege this morning of introducing our two speakers for the main service. They're both from iTech down in Florida, and I've been connected with them for a number of years, so Brent asked me to do that. And the first one is Brian Reed. Where you at, Brian? I don't see you over here. Where's Brian? Oh, he's in the back. Okay. So Brian Reed is a, kind of a homegrown missionary. He's been here a long time. Both these guys we know really well, so I'm not telling a lot of you anything you don't already know. But Brian kind of grew up in our church. Uh, he's married to his lovely wife, Karen. And they have two children, Thomas and Susanna. Thomas is uh, becoming a filmmaker in his own right, uh, like his dad. He's won some awards and done some things as a senior in high school and already doing those things. And then Susanna's uh, uh, very big into dance. Y'all might have seen on social media some of the things she's done with ballet and other types of dance. And, 
And Karin has done a great job homeschooling them. I know they're very proud of them. And uh, sorry they couldn't be with us today, Brian, but we do pray for you all the time and keep up with you. So Brian went on his first <clears throat> mission trips to Belize with us in 2002. <clears throat> and when Brian was approached about going, I think he was a little timid and a little like, I'm not sure how the Lord could use me. Much like many of you are now as I, we promote these trips, you're like, I'm not sure how, I, you know, but I told you last week, <laughs> a lot of these trips, if you can speak English, you're qualified. <laughs> okay, you can do it because a lot of it in the world is just talking and conversing and sharing English with people that want to learn English. Well, Brian went. He, by faith, he stepped out. And you know what he did? He took his camera with him. <laughs> he took his camera and he got down there and he found out that God could use his passion for photography. And even advancing that into movies and films and things, God could use that in ministry. So he came home, he hit the ground running, he uh, uh, joined a local ministry here for a number of years. But in 2011, he, he moved down to ITEC, down in Florida, near uh, Ocala, in a place called Donellan. And he met a guy named Jamie and, and some of the team members, very small back then. Back then, I think we had like eight staff. And today, they're like 40 or more. You'll, you'll probably tell more. But it's, it's, it's really grown a lot. And Brian has been a tremendous asset, a great part of that. I mean, if you need something done quick and right, it's Brian. He'll get it done. <laughs> we know that. Uh, you saw the film he did in Sunday School about England. And we're so glad he went over and did that. And Wyatt is still using that film. And it's a good one. <laughs> and it's probably about five years old or so. Great film. But he is a tremendous asset. Been down there for about 12 years. We're looking forward to what Brian's got to say in just a moment. He'll come first. But then Jamie is also a friend and really like family to us. And we have spent uh, sleepless nights in hotels in South America with traffic blaring all hours of the night and with the worst karaoke of Elvis above us all night long I've ever heard in my life. And that after uh, a time of debriefing of the major days ministries, what took place in a devotion time, and then a couple hours of wizard. <laughs> it's not a satanic uh, game or anything. It's really, it's really not. It's Brent and, and Jamie's favorite card game is wizard. So when we take a mission trip, we play that a lot. <laughs> but Jimmy, uh, I mean, sorry, but Jamie and ITech represent an unfolding, an unfolding story of God's grace and uh, really a message of miracle of reconciliation that started with his grandfather, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, Roger Udarian, uh, all gave their lives in 1956. The first book I read when I became a Christian at 17, the first book I, get, I read someone gave me was called Through Gates of Splendor. And Through Gates of Splendor is Elizabeth Elliot's book, and it really uh, tells this story of the event in 1956 through the eyes of Jim Elliot. But in it, she mentions Nate Saint, and she tells about some of his exploits and his flying, and immediately <laughs> Nate Saint became my hero. I mean, this guy could do amazing things with airplanes. He could fly in a 360 circle and drop a bucket on a string and hold it there while people put presents in and took presents out. I mean, who does that? <laughs> he invented the, one of the first... Uh, reserve gas tanks. He took a peach can, like a, like a gallon peach can, and he filled it full of gas with a little hose that went out to the carburetor. And he, as he was flying, he flipped the lever, cut off his fuel, flipped the lever just to feed gas into the carburetor, reserve backup, just in case if he needed a little extra time <laughs> to fly. So he did amazing things. And I was just, I was just so impressed with, with him. And I won't go any more into the story. If you want to know more about the 1956 event, um, then you can Google that. You can go to iTech. Um, USA.org. There's books outside, um, End of the Spear, The Great Omission, just great books that Steve wrote. Um, they don't take, they don't sell them, they'll take donations, they're fine. Uh, don't let money 
Jamie said, tell you, don't let money be an issue. If you ain't got any money, see Jamie. He'll, he'll give you some money. <laughs> you can pick up a book. So that's the, the money's not the point, but getting the message out is. So be sure to, to do that if you would like to. And um, Jamie, like I said, will share more about that story, I'm sure, as well. But out of that event that happened 67, the year I was born, 67 years ago, January of that year, God has wrought many, many miracles. Tens of thousands of people's lives have been impacted. Tens of thousands of people have gone to mission field and have become more missional in their thinking as a result of that. And just unfolding of God's grace through this story. ITech stands for Indigenous People's Technology and Education Center. That's what it's all about. And it was born in the heart and the minds of the Wydoni people of Ecuador, the same people that killed these five missionaries. That's how the story unfolds. And also, I have to say, through the creative juices, the creative mind of Jamie's dad, Steve. Jamie's dad. Steve Saint and Nate Saint are two of the most creative people I've ever met in my life. And um, it's through Steve's drive, his vision, that set it all into motion. But in 2012, June 12th of 2012, Steve had an accident while testing a wing and it broke his neck. And so he's a partial quadriplegic. So continue to pray. I know a lot of y'all pray for Steve. You ask me all the time how he's doing. And he had nine good weeks up till about a week ago. <laughs> and he crashed. So he's not good right now, I don't think. But pray for Steve. But I'll tell you this. <clears throat> if it's likely, I think, that the vision and the ministry of ITEC would have ended there if it hadn't been for God's sovereignty and bringing Jamie along the year before. And he and I came together about the same time, didn't we, down there? And uh, we didn't know what the future would look like. Just wanted to serve together in that ministry. And a year later, his dad had this accident. And Jamie, by his faithfulness and his, his willingness, he just stepped right in. And over the last 11 years, God has really used Jamie not only to survive that accident, but to thrive through it. The ministry has just done so well in reaching so many more countries, doing so much. And one thing about Jamie I'm always impressed with is his willingness to... Um, to share the load, to share the burden. You know, he doesn't want to do it all. He doesn't want to go on all the trips and be the person to do that. He wants to share that with the whole ministry there. And I think that's one reason it's grown so well, uh, distributing and, and, and helping, uh, letting others come alongside of him. Um, it's been a tremendous blessing. Like I said, Jamie is not Steve, but he has his dad's creativity. Now, I know that surprises you that I said that. But he's not, he is very creative. And the way, I thought about this because the way that he's creative, with it, that Jamie is creative, is that he is one of the best I know at partnering and putting partnerships together to uh, go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, of networking. Everywhere this guy goes, he's always looking for networks to build on and partnerships to develop. And he's very creative in that, and I want to give him credit for that. It's really helped iTech grow. It's really helped our, our footprint in the world to grow. And he's always saying, we can't do it alone. He's going to tell you that today. I don't know what he's going to talk about, but he's going to talk about how we can't do it alone. And I, prom I, I promise you, you better after I said that. <laughs> but he will tell you it takes all of us working together uh, for world evangelization. He's married to his lovely wife, Jessica. They have six daughters. And let me tell you, Guys, that's a seven-to-one ratio in his house. Seven-to-one ratio. And he's still walking and talking and saying, I think. So come, come share with us, Brian, and then, and then Jamie will come. Well, Dave, thanks for that introduction. You took half of what I was going to say, but uh, 
That's great. But it's, it's great to be back here. It's always great to come back here to Grace Community Church and see everyone that my wife and I grew up around and uh, to, who just loved on us and continue to love on us this day. We just thank you for that. It was great to see the videos from the missionaries. I wish I knew that I could just do that. I would have I done that instead of getting up here and talking in front of you because, you know, if you know me, you know. Um, but it was great to see the technology that's being used with Mars Hill and the app that they're building for the smartphone. Uh, fantastic. It's going to be a lot of nice southern uh, Bible translations going around. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope, is Dean Self here? Is Dean here today? Okay, good, I can say this. I, <laughs> I, I really want to hear Dean's uh, Spanish version of that. So <laughs> if you know, you know. Um, but yeah, just again, it's, it's great to be back here today, and I'm just going to give you a quick update on what's going on uh, with my ministry with iTech. Um, so since COVID, I haven't been able to travel a lot because of some of the restrictions. Uh, in August, I was able to go on our, my first training trip since 2019, um, went to India, and we did a film training in India where we had uh, 10 students learning film, and that, it, that training went great, went really good. Um, we had been there once before, and uh, they asked us to come back again, and um, we did that training. But since COVID, another thing has opened up for us uh, with the, the film training is that we've been able to do it online as well. And so we've done five film trainings online with five different churches and partners from around the world, Republic of Congo, uh, a group in Haiti. So these are some places that we really can't go right now because of some of the turmoil that they're going through in some of their countries. Um, we're going to wrap up a training with a, uh, with a church from Pennsylvania uh, on the 15th. Um, they're actually learning the, the film, and then they're also going to go through an equip stage of that. What the equip stage is, is they're going to learn how to teach it to their partners uh, that they go with in, as well. Um, some filming projects that we have coming up uh, at iTech is um, in... Uh, April, we're going to Columbia, and we're doing uh, a training with medical and mechanical and with the UAV program. And so we really haven't documented the UAV program uh, overseas, so this is going to be our first opportunity to do that, and we're hoping to get a few stories out of that. Um, also, we, I'll be traveling with the farm team to Zambia uh, in July to do a, a story on them. And we're also working on a, a documentary with a few other churches that have um, they've gone through the equipping stage, and they really want to go and train with their partners without iTech. And so this is kind of some of the first times that we have seen this done. And so um, we're going to go, and we're going to try and document their story from the beginning to the training, and then after, once they've, they've done their training, and kind of the views that they have of that. Um, also, with the, with the video production, uh, we have a podcast called Mission Minded. Um, we're about to start our fourth season on that uh, coming up uh, this spring. And um, if you haven't listened to it, it's great. We have some really good uh, guests on there. Uh, it's, the, the slogan is outside the box thinking in carrying out Christ's great commission. And so we're bringing on people from different organizations and talking about, you know, how are they going about missions? You know, how are they doing it differently? Um, what have they seen work best? What have they not seen work uh, best? And we've had some really, really good uh, guests on there. So uh, season four starts uh, probably, uh, probably next month. Don't hold me to it. Um, yeah, I think I've 
covered everything, <laughs> everything I was going to talk about. Um, outside iTech, I've been able to still help some organizations, uh, some ministries, um, and one of those you know very well, Crosswinds Foundation with Bob Waldrop. So Bob's working on his third documentary in the series of, the, uh, of PTSD and moral injury. Uh, this third film called Trauma Comes Home. Uh, it, we talk with the families this time. So we're talking with the wives and the children about how they have dealt with living with someone with PTSD and moral injury. Uh, and this, this has meant a lot to me, this project, um, because my dad had PTSD. And, um, you know, growing up with that, not really knowing and seeing the different signs that he, you know, he portrayed of, of PTSD. And then hearing some of these uh, interviews from, from people my age whose, whose fathers served in Vietnam um, and, and hearing their stories, I related a lot to it. So this has been a great project for me to work on personally and professionally with Bob. I love Bob. You guys love Bob. Um, and uh, we're hoping to um, finish that up late spring, early summer. Bob will say late spring. I'll say early summer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll be in town all week working with Bob on this as well. We're wrapping up some of the most of the editing, and we got one more thing to film this week as well. So um, but that's what we got going on. I'll, uh, you know, thank you guys. I love you so much. Next month is actually going to be 15 years for our family serving a media ministry. Um, you know, 2008, I joined GlobeWorks International, and, and God has just worked in some tremendous ways. This good old boy from Pinson, Alabama, being able to go around the world and document things that Never thought in a million years I would see. Um, and I owe a lot of it to you guys for supporting us for those 15 years. And thank you so much. We love you guys. Well, good morning. It's uh, always good to be here in Birmingham. Um, I've been here a few times before. Before we get started this morning, um, some are, of you have familiar faces to me, uh, some of you do not, but David mentioned my daughters. I'd like to show you a picture of my daughters so you can just kind of feel a little bit for me. Yeah, so people oftentimes ask me, so Jamie, you travel a lot. In fact, I got back from Malta yesterday morning at 3 a.m., and they said, why do you travel so much? And I show them a picture like that. <laughs> Our oldest daughter on, the, on your left is married now. Got married last January, so just over a year. And then there's one that looks a little bit different than the others. You might be able to pick it out, pick her out. Um, she's been with us for about six years. Um, so these are my girls. And my wife is obviously not pictured, but... I figured the girls would give you enough. And just so you know, we do have two female dogs. <laughs> so yes, greatly outnumbered. This morning I'd like to, if you'd like to take notes, the title of the sermon is God's Will, God's Way. God's Will, God's Way. So what we're going to do this morning is we're gonna, I'm going to tell you a story. And the story is about 67 or so years in the making. And then after that, I'm going to do an illustration so that you and I can comprehend together the Great Commission. And then finally, I'm going to give you five principles 
to have a long-term impact in your mission efforts. So buckle up. We have a little bit of a, we're going to have some fun this morning, all right? If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn in, in, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Now there's a key to the story of Joseph is that God doesn't write the whole story in one chapter. And it's something that we need to be very, um, we need to keep that in mind because another story that I'm going to tell you, God didn't write that story in one chapter either. So the story of Joseph in the Bible is one, if you're not familiar, he started out as his father's favorite son. At the age of 17, he became a betrayed brother sold into slavery, and taken to Egypt. After being a slave for a number of years, he responded righteously in a situation with Potiphar's wife and was sent to prison. Now, if that was the end of the story, what a miserable story. It starts out, he's the favorite son, and it ends up, he's in prison. But if you have your Bibles, Genesis 41, we're just going to read a few verses starting in verse 41. If you know the story, Pharaoh had a dream. And nobody could interpret his dream. But the prisoners, the butler and the baker, one was restored, one was killed, said, oh yeah, two years ago, I was in prison, and this guy, he could interpret my dream. So Pharaoh called Joseph, interpreted the dream, and then in verse 41, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, now Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world at this time. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. The middle of the story, if we don't read that last chapter, we miss what God's trying to do, what he's trying to tell us. You know, my mom, when she reads a book, especially one that is suspenseful, What she does is she reads the first chapter and then she skips to the last chapter. Then she doesn't have to worry about how the story ends. You know what? God did that for us as well. He's written a lot of chapters, but he also has written the end of the story. So that when we are faithful and obedient to the call that he has on each of our lives, we don't have to worry about how the story ends. We know the last chapter. So God's will, God's way. A story I'm going to share with you that David shared a little bit starts back before 1956. My grandfather was a missionary pilot flying in support of missionaries that served out in the jungles in the Amazon down in Ecuador, South America. But there was one area of the jungles that no other pilots would fly over because of the people that lived there. They knew that even if their plane crashed and they survived the crash, they would never make it out of this area alive because of the people that live there. 
At that time, they were known as the Alcas, which is a derogatory Quechua term that means naked savage or just savage. Now, to understand the story I'm going to tell you, you need to understand this people. The Waldani, as they call themselves, are an egalitarian society. That means there's no hierarchy, no laws of any kind. Everybody does whatever they want to do, and nobody, nobody tells them differently. But there did become four unwritten rules that everybody lived by. They want something like this. Rule number one, if somebody does something that offends you, ignore it. Rule number two, if somebody does something that offends you and you can't ignore it, kill them. Rule number three, if somebody kills somebody in your family, it's not only your right, it's your obligation to kill somebody in their family. Finally, rule number four, if, whether you've been offended or to avenge a death in another family group, if you're going to go kill somebody, take your whole family group with you, kill the whole other family group, that way there's nobody left to come kill you or your family. They were a society of death. They had a 60% homicide rate inside the tribe. But my grandfather had read Revelation chapter 7. Then in the last day, there will be people from every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue willingly before God's throne giving him praise. He said, how are they going to know unless somebody goes? He put a group of five men, all missionaries, himself, Jim Elliott, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and Ed McCauley, young men. My grandfather was the oldest at the age of 32. After a number of weeks of exchanging gifts by means of the bucket drop, David, thank you. Um, if you watch the movie End of the Spear, you'll see the bucket drop. My dad was the pilot in that movie. You'll see the bucket drop and how it works. Which is kind of a neat thing. Well, I can't tell you that. You have to read the book. So this is a little excerpt from my grandfather's journals in the book, End of the Spear. And this is what he says. As we have a high old time this Christmas, may we who know Christ hear the cry of the damned as they hurtle headlong into the Christless night without ever a chance. Would that we could comprehend the lot of these Stone Age people who live in mortal fear of ambush on the jungle trail, those to whom the bark of a gun means sudden, mysterious death, those who think all men in all the world are killers like themselves. If God would grant us the vision, the word sacrifice would disappear from our lips and thoughts. We would hate the things that seem now too dear to us, our lives would suddenly be too short. We would despise time-robbing distractions and charge the enemy with all our energies in the name of Christ. May God help us to judge ourselves by the eternities that separate the Alcas from a comprehension of Christmas and him who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor so that we might through his poverty be made rich. In early January 1956, my grandfather had found a beach on the edge of the Iwanguno or Kururai River, about 600 feet long, which 
I know David's a pilot, B is a pilot, a few others of you. 600 feet is very little. But he landed and began ferrying the men in with a prefabricated treehouse to protect themselves from wild animals. And they waited. On Friday, January 6, 1956, out of the jungles came two young ladies and a young man. There was no animosity, there was no hostility of any kind. They spent the day there together on the beach. My grandfather even gave, they nicknamed him George, his travel name named Kiwi, at least two rides in his airplane. Late in the afternoon, the younger of the two ladies and the young man left. The older of the two ladies, who was probably in her late 20s, which was very old by tribal standards at that time, left just before dawn. I can only imagine that these five men, including my grandfather, were ecstatic because they knew the next chapter. They knew that God was going to allow them to share his love with these people who so desperately needed it. Saturday came and went, no contact. On Sunday, early afternoon, my grandfather flew over, two ridges over to where the, their clearing was with their longhouse, and he didn't see anybody. And as he flew back over, he's looking down, but the Amazon has three layers of canopy, so you can't see anything as you're flying over. But they do have these rivers that snake back and forth, twisting and turning through the Amazon. And as he was looking down, he saw some of the Indians coming to the beach. He called my grandmother, Marge, and who was always standing by on the radio, and said, Marge, looks like they're coming for the afternoon service. I'll call you again at 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock came, and there was no contact. My grandfather's watch had stopped shortly after 3 o'clock. After his body, having been pierced with multiple spears, had been thrown into the river. All five men, dead. How can this be? How can a loving God allow obedient servants to die? We like verses like Romans 8, 28, don't we? Probably most of you can quote that verse. It's all who live godly in Christ Jesus. Actually, that's the other one. Romans 8, 28. What is it? Somebody. All things work together for good, don't they? For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. 2 Timothy three twelve is somewhat different. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall live happily ever after. No, it's all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Let me put these two verses together in a way that hopefully we'll understand a little bit better. God has a story to write with your life and with my life. He doesn't promise that every chapter is going to be easy. In fact, he promises that if you allow him to write your story, there's going to be some difficult chapters. But if you allow him to write your story, he'll make sense of even the most miserable chapter before the story comes to an end. You see, that wasn't the end of the story. That was just the end of the first chapter of the story.
The next chapter opened two years later when my Aunt Rachel and Elizabeth Elliot were allowed and actually invited in to live with the Waodani. Two years later, my dad was invited in for the first time. He was about nine years old at this time. And after spending a little bit of time in the jungles, Minkai, the man who killed my grandfather, he went to Aunt Rachel. He said, Nemo. It's her tribal name. It means star. He said, Nemo. How can Baba, that's my dad's name, it means wild, which evidently they were very perceptive. How can he not know how to live in the jungles, being this old? See, out in the jungles, in order to live, you needed to know how to hunt, how to track, how to use a blowgun, and how to use a spear. And my dad didn't know any of those things. And Aunt Rachel turned back to Minkai and said, Minkai, you having killed his father, who do you say should teach him how to live? And Minkai left. See, he had to think about it. If you remember those four unwritten rules, if he teaches my dad how to hunt, how to track, how to use a blowgun, and how to use a spear. He's giving him the tools and the training necessary to avenge his dad's death by killing Minkai or members of Minkai's family. But Minkai came back later that afternoon. He said, it's true. Having spear killed his father, I myself will teach him how to live. It wasn't until a little while later that they knew the depth of what Minkai was agreeing to. Minkai actually adopted my dad as his own son. See, Minkai was walking a different trail. He was no longer walking his trail. He was walking, as they say, God's trail. Well, a number of years went by, and Rachel was with Wycliffe Bible Translators. She helped to create a written language for them and then helped to translate the New Testament into their language. In 1994, having had cancer a couple times, she died. My dad went down to the Amazon. It's about 60 miles out from the nearest road. He went down for the funeral. <clears throat> After the funeral, the tribe came to him and said, now that Nemo is dead, we say that you come and you live with us. They weren't asking him, they were telling him. And he said, no. He said, I'll come and visit you often, but I can't live here. And they said, well, Nemo said that you would come. Now, if any of you had ever met Aunt Rachel, you knew you weren't going to argue with her and win when she was alive and they've just put her body in the ground. So how is he going to argue and win now? So he used the same excuse that you or I might use if Pastor Thad or David or Brent or... You know, somebody comes and says, you know, we're starting this new ministry at church. And you would be the perfect person to to lead this ministry. And you don't want to do it. You can't say no. I mean, these are like, you know, leaders in the church. So what do you say? I'll pray about it. Some of you have tried this before. I saw you mouthing the words. I'll pray about it because how this Thad or one of these other men, how do they know what God has told you to do? But Dawa, his tribal aunt or grandmother, turned back to the people. She said, people, I've already spoken to the Creator God. I know that he sees it well. Well, now, what do you do? So my dad, thinking quickly on his feet, he said, people, people, only the Creator and Ongin Kamo, that's my mom, 
See, my mom was back in Florida. And even if there was a way to communicate from the jungles to Florida, they didn't speak the same language. So he knew he had them there. And Dama turned back again to the people. She said, people, only Kamal being a Christ follower, if God sees it well, how can she not? So in 1995, two weeks after I graduated from high school, we moved down to live with the Waodani out in the Amazon. And we get there and we said, okay, what do you want us to do for you? Because missionaries do things. And they said, no, we don't want you to do anything. Foreigners are always coming and doing and doing. They come and they take care of our medical problems. They take care of our dental problems. They even in an emergency will fly us out to a hospital. But they said there's two problems. And you need to understand these two problems in order to understand ITEC. These are the two issues that ITEC was founded upon. They said problem number one. The foreigners only come when it's convenient for them, not when we have a problem. Problem number two, when the foreigners come, they can only meet a physical need because they don't speak or talk. But our people have a bigger need. They have a spiritual need. So they said, if you will teach us, like we taught you when you were young, if you will teach us what the foreigners know how to do, then we, when our people have a problem, we will be here to help them. And as we meet their physical need, we'll tell them how Jesus can fix our heart. That sounds good, but how do you do that? But that idea that the wild Donnie had was the basis, was the foundation on which ITEC was created. As David mentioned, ITEC stands for the Indigenous Peoples Technology and Education Center. What we do is we travel around the world. The only continent I don't think we've been on is Antarctica. Training indigenous Christ followers with skills like dentistry, medical care, mechanic training, small engine repair, optometry, film, and farming. So that they, when we leave, they will be there equipped with the skill to meet the felt needs of their own people as a door opener to share the gospel. I do have a video to share, but before that, I want to just tell you two short stories. Back just before COVID in March of 2020, we had a medical team that went over to northern India. They trained eight Christ followers in northern India how to do basic medical care, like first aid and triage and wound care and burn care and few other things. They arrived back just as the world was shutting down. We got a message about eight months later, just at the beginning of December, that these eight Christ followers had met with and treated 8,000 people. Every single one heard the gospel. And of those 8,000, 1,264 came to faith 730 of those were baptized and 27 church, house churches were planted in eight months. If you and I were there, we couldn't do that in eight years. And then uh, Chris went with a, a team over to Liberia doing a medical training and a farm training just last month. 
And one of the guys we heard back within about five days, he had gone from Liberia back to where he was serving as a missionary in Sierra Leone. Now, this is a man from Liberia. And he went into a Muslim village of 2,000 people. And he did just a basic hygiene training, just sharing with them the importance of washing your hands before you cook or eat. Washing your hands after you use the bathroom. Making sure that you don't get water close by where you use the, the, the latrine. And in that one day, 164 people came to faith and were baptized. In one day, just a few days after the training. That's what we're doing around the world. But, so you can get a picture is worth a thousand words. I'd like to show you a short video where you will see this training happening around the world. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, how quickly we ride over that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. The Great Commission is a daunting task but it was given to all followers of Christ in Matthew 28. While the Western Church is seeing declining participation in cross-cultural missions, we are seeing non-Western churches rise to this task. In fact, the number of non-Western missionaries are increasing by 13% yearly. The Indigenous Church is crossing ethnic boundaries to share the Gospel. In many ways, they are already well-equipped for the task because they speak shared languages and don't appear to be outsiders. This shift represents an opportunity for the Western Church to encourage, equip, and partner with the majority world church in this task. At iTech, we want to help Christ followers understand that God has gifted every believer to participate in the Great Commission. Our goal is to eliminate the potential for dependency by partnering with, training alongside, and learning from the Indigenous Church. This interdependency is a concept found in passages throughout the Bible and directly in 1 Corinthians 12. At iTech, we focus on three areas. Developing tools and training programs for the Indigenous Church. Training national Christ followers and equipping others to do the same, both domestically and abroad. While we cannot accomplish these tasks alone, we rely heavily on God's leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, as well as partnerships with like-minded organizations and churches around the world. Headquartered in Florida, ITAC has a core staff of about 20 individuals and a growing group of volunteers. We also have a facility in Shell, Ecuador, with more than 15 Ecuadorian nationals working to advance the mission in their own country. While our team continues to grow, our ultimate goal is to share the mission and vision 
with church leaders, missionaries, and like-minded people in the United States and around the world. Imagine seeing churches and organizations partnering all over the world, interdependent on each other, and leveraging each other's collective strengths, working together to spread the gospel to the far corners of the earth. This is what we desire to see, and this is why we exist. So the Great Commission. The Great Commission we find in Matthew 28. There's a few other places. But if we're going to shorten that down to just a few words, it's go and make disciples. Or you could say, as you go, make disciples. Whatever you're doing, make disciples. That is our mission. But to put it into context, I'm going to ask Chris Wilkins, who is the director of Equip at iTech, to come on up. Brian Reed, who actually his handiwork put that film together for us. Then we show anytime you come on a tour, that's one of the two films. Come on up. Come on up. And is B. Nichols in here? Where's B? Oh, come on, B. All right, so B, I need you to stand about right here. And you're going to face this direction. And when he comes around right there, and when he comes around you with the tape, just grab onto the tape, okay? And Brian, if you'll stand right there. Facing, you know how to do it. All right. Now, today in the world, the population is about 7.8 billion people. And of those, about 3.2 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus. Now, I work with numbers a lot, but I don't, 3.2 billion doesn't compute in my head. I don't know if you've looked at your bank account lately, it probably doesn't compute in your head either. You know, the government throws out, oh, it's only $50 billion. Well, what is that? But the Great Commission is the 3.2 billion people who have never heard the gospel. Many of them don't even have access because they live in places where roads don't go. But so that we can understand what the Great Commission really is, I have an illustration to put it into context. So I'm going to just grab a little bit. Chris, if you'll walk that way first. Brian, just grab it as he goes. And then he's just going to circle. All right? All right. So as he goes, this 300-foot tape is going to represent, we're rounding down to 3 billion people who have never heard the gospel. Are you with me? Say yes. Now, some of you have no idea. All right, so I'm going to say it again. The 300-foot tape, He's going to represent the three billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Are you with me, church? Okay. As he does this, I just want you to pay attention to the tape. I'm going to give you a little bit of a worrisome statistic. There was a Barna study that came out in Mission Frontiers magazine in 2019 in the November-December issue. And it asked people that are churchgoers, not Christmas and Easter, people like you and me who are in church every Sunday. And they asked them this question, have you ever heard the Great Commission? And if so, what does it mean? Now, 
hopefully, and I know you guys may be a little bit different, but when asking that question, have you ever heard the Great Commission? 51% of churchgoers in the United States said no, they had never heard the Great Commission. 51%. Only 17% said yes, and this is what it means. We have been given one mission by God to make disciples around the world. That's what he gave to his disciples who gave to their disciples and it made its way down to us. And 51% of the people in this country have never heard of Christ followers. People that are in church have never heard the Great Commission. Chris, you can sit. You guys just stay right where you are. Do you see this tape? 300 feet equals what? 3 billion people. Lift that up just a little bit. You see this. Oh, you can set it down and have a seat. Thank you, guys. Now, what I'm going to do, and this is actually found in the Great Omission. As they mentioned, those books are out there. Man, if you don't have a dollar to your name and you're going to read the book, take a book. We want you to have it. The Great Omission is the heartbeat of ITAG. So on this scale, 300 feet equals 3 billion. Today in the world, there's approximately 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries in the world. Okay? 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries. On this scale of 300 feet equals 3 billion people, that gets to us about one-eighth of an inch. About right there. Okay? Now hold with me. We're going to do a little bit of math. Not a lot. And I'm going to do it for you. All you have to do is listen. So, on that scale, 300 feet equals 3 billion people, the 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries, we get to about one-eighth of an inch. Now, let's say that they're real go-getters. They're just, man, sharing the gospel, and, and they each reach 500 people. 500 people. Now, in most places in the world, that is impossible. But they spend their lives, they do that. You know, on this scale of 300 feet equals 3 billion people, this is where they get to. The 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries each reach 500 people. They get to 5 feet. One of two things I would submit to you is the case. Either Jesus gave us a mission that is impossible for us to do. Now, I'm a dad. I have never told my kids and I never got told by my dad to do something that I knew was impossible for them to do. I don't think Jesus did that for us either. So either he gave us a task that is impossible or we're just not doing God's will, God's way. Let's do the math a little bit differently. Now, no iPhones can be out. Android, it takes you a little bit longer, so you can go ahead and pull your Android phones, phones out. Get your calculator out. I heard that, Brent. So let's do the math this way. Those 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries each disciple 60 indigenous Christ followers. That would take a long time, but that is doable. And then each of those 60 indigenous Christ followers reach 500 people. 
Do you know where we get to? Three billion people. Jesus didn't say, go and just share the gospel everywhere you go. He said, go and make disciples. A disciple, we see in 2 Timothy 2.2, is somebody who can make a disciple. When Paul tells his disciple, Timothy, the things which you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We see four generations. We see Paul, Timothy, faithful, and others. The true test of discipleship is not how your disciple turns out, it's how your disciple's disciple turns out. It's the same thing with parenthood. The true test of parenthood is not how your kids turn out, it's how your grandkids turn out. I don't have any grandkids now, fortunately. But have I taught my kids well enough to allow them to teach their kids? Or, see, I know that being a dad, I can keep my kids in line somewhat. They're now all teenagers or older. But I can keep them in line by threats, taking away a phone or car keys, right? But have I taught them well enough that they can teach their kids? See, my parents didn't teach any of us, any of my kids, how to tie their shoes. Simple example. Why? Because they taught me well enough that I could teach my kids how to tie their shoes. And so really, what we've did, we, all my kids, they've had Velcro shoes since they've... <laughs> it was easier. Does this make sense? That is something that Christ gave to every follower of his. That we need to do, Dave Nichols, together. We're called to do it together. Now there's some sad news. There's actually not 100,000 long-term foreign evangelical missionaries. The last statistic, there were just over 59,000. And the majority of those are coming. There's more coming to the U.S. than any other country in the world. 90% of those are going to countries that are considered reached not unreached. One more statistic, and, and just so you know, I have a card out there. It looks like this. You need to grab one. The statistics that I'm sharing are right here, so you can take it home. And then the five principles are right here, so you can take that home and, and think about those things. Out of every $100,000 that Christians in this country make, $107 goes to missions. Out of every $100,000 that Christ followers in this country make, we're not talking about everybody in the country, we're talking about Christ followers. $107 goes to missions. That is one-tenth of one percent, if my math is correct. Out of that $107 that goes to missions, $1 goes to reach unreached people groups. Let me share that one more time. Out of every $100,000 that Christ followers make, $100, 107 goes to missions, and of that, $1 goes to reach 
the people that have no access to the gospel. That's one one hundredth of one tenth of one percent of what we make. Now I may be preaching to the choir. I know that you guys are giving to missions and, and you're doing well. But I know that everybody's not. And we need to be aware of these statistics. I don't think God would come down and say, well done. One cup of Starbucks is five times what you're giving to reach the people that I told you to reach. Now briefly, I'd like to share with you five principles for having a long-term impact on a short-term trip. When we understand this, we need to figure out how to do it. We did, many of you have read The Great Omission. Many of you have been through the mission's dilemma. A number of years ago, we tried to do something called the resolution to the mission's dilemma with four churches, your church being one of those. And it just wasn't, it just didn't come together the way we wanted it to. For those of you who participated in that and for those of you who did not, these five principles ultimately will allow you to resolve the mission's dilemma. If you, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, talk to one of the people on your missions team. They've been through it. The, the Great Omission will lead you into the Missions Dilemma, a seven-part series um, with people around the world telling us how we've been doing missions to them. These five principles will help us solve it. Principle number one, learn to listen. Learn to listen. You know, so often when we go overseas, we're fixed at people. We want to fix things. We don't have time to listen. When, when you go to somebody and say, hey, I'm going on this mission trip this year. Would you help to support me? The first question that you're going to ask is, well, what are you going to do? Principle number one, learn to listen. I've been married, June will be 26 years. And early on, my wife would share her problems, you know, whatever it was with me. And while she's sharing the problem, I have three steps to solve the problem. I'm ready. As soon as she's done talking, I'm ready to jump in and here's how to fix that. And you know what I realized? She finally told me, she said, look, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. There's a video on YouTube uh, with a lady with a nail in her head and she's talking to her husband She's like, I have this splitting headache. You have to watch it. Some of you have seen it. I have a splitting headache. He's like, there's a nail in your head. She's like, look, will you just listen to me? It's not about the nail. We need to learn to listen. Number two, when we learn to listen, we will understand the need from their point of view, not from our point of view. I have a friend that went down to the Caribbean to one of the islands, and uh, they saw that they didn't have Western-style latrines. So what did they do? They put a team together, and they went and built them Western-style latrines. Meanwhile, the people from the island who are unemployed are sitting there watching them, all these Westerners who are doctors and lawyers and business people and pastors, and build a Western-style latrine. I've been to a lot of countries where they have a squatty potty. There's some benefits. Number one, you're not taking a magazine in there. It's a quick rotation. 
you're in, you're out. And there's a commercial about that as well. If you've never watched it, um, on YouTube, Squatty Potty. It's a, great, it's a great little, some of you have seen it. But we need to understand the need from their point of view, not from our point of view. Otherwise, we're going to be fixing problems that they don't have. But when we learn to listen, we will understand the need from their point of view. Their needs, not what we perceive their needs to be. Number three, build on what they have. They need to own it from the start. They need to have skin in the game. They need to participate. Otherwise, if we do everything, if we just send our money down there, and even though they build it, but we've paid for it, do you know what? If they don't have skin in the game, then it's ours. And they're not going to use it because we went down, we built it. So whose is it? It's ours. They watched us while we built it. We think we're doing a great thing for them, but it's with them. It's together. They need to have participation. And the thing I hear all the time is, well, they don't have any money. 83.96% of the adult population in this world has a smartphone. There's not a cell phone company in the world that gives away minutes for free. They have money. They have resources. They have time. They may have chickens. They may have goats. They can participate. And they need to if they're going to own it from the start. So learn to listen, understand the need, build on what they have. Number four, go and train. Don't go and do things for them that they can and should do for themselves. Go and train them with a skill that will give them access to people in their community and surrounding their community that haven't heard the name of Jesus. But they have needs like dental needs and medical care. In Africa, in those 50-some-odd countries in Africa, there's approximately one dentist for every one million people. The vast majority of the continent has no access to dental care. So it could be dental, it could be medical, it could be mechanical, it could be plumbing. It could be something that we don't do, but you have a skill. They may need that. Not just so that they can have a business, but so that through that training, they will be able to share the gospel with people who otherwise, like in that Muslim village that I told you about. If he didn't have something to benefit the community, he would not be allowed into that community. Finally, number five, follow up. A friend of mine, Umal, um, said this. He said, look, come and train us. He's, in, he's from Uganda. He said, come and train us. He said, and then you go, and then come back and follow up. Polish our skills. And then go somewhere else, because we don't need you anymore. Still with relationship, but not going back and training the people there. If you train them, they have the skill, and they'll continue to utilize it. Now, I think so often as I close, we're like, well, what can I do? A lot of people would stand up here and say, well, just give. That's your role. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to give you five roles, just very briefly. You don't, I mean, if you're taking notes, do that. You can pray. God doesn't need anything else from it. He doesn't need us. But he's choosed, he has chosen 
to use us. Pray. You can go. There are opportunities through your church right here. All you have to do is pick up one of those passports. Go. See what God's doing around the world. Or, where's David? Okay, he said, hey, Melinda. So, like I'm going to talk to Dave today, send me down to Ecuador this summer for a week. Go. You can go on a short-term trip. Everybody in this room can do that. You may say, well, I don't have the money. God's not limited by money. He's got it all. So you can pray, you can go, you can send somebody. Hey, right now it's not a great time for me to go. I'm going to send somebody else to go. You can receive. Birmingham, I guarantee you, has a population of refugees from places that you can't travel to today. God is sending them to our country. They're here. They're around us. You can receive them. They're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for love. They're looking for kindness. They're looking for community. And number five, you can mobilize. You can mobilize people. Maybe you're at the age where, you know what? Traveling internationally is really not physically, I'm not able to do that. But you can mobilize others to go. You know, back in the early 2000s, had a conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I will do anything you want me to do except work at iTech. I would challenge you. Say, God, I'm willing to do anything except for this. And watch, that's what God's going to allow you to do. But today, after being at iTech now, closing in on 13 years, I can't imagine doing anything different. When your heart lines up with the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. There's a role for each of us to play. There's a story that God wants to write. All you have to do is say yes. And he will show you enough to be obedient for the next step. He's not going to lay out the plan. Those five men as they were dying. Like, what a waste. The world thought, what a tragedy. But our God is writing the story. He turns tragedy into triumph. All it requires is for you to say yes. Let's pray. Father, you are the author. And you are good. You write good stories, great stories. And you don't use the super Christians. You use those who are simply willing to say yes. Help us to say yes and get involved in the mission that you've called us to. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we appreciate uh, Jamie and Brian uh, sharing. And uh, just real quick, I wanted to just thank the Lord for Brian and Karn. Um, just listening to Brian is very special to listen to him uh, for obvious reasons. Um, They're part of our church family at Springboro Road for a long time. And um, they just said, Lord, whatever you want us to do, we'll do. And uh, so they did that by faith. And look what the Lord's doing. Brian's holding a microphone. <laughs>
<laughs> I never thought that would actually take. Now, Karn holding a microphone, I can see that, but, uh, but not Brian. Uh, but we're so thankful for what the Lord is doing in y'all's lives. And I cannot, Thomas is a senior in high school. Okay. All right, we're all getting younger. And um, then as Jamie was sharing uh, this morning, I was thinking about the end of Joseph's life. And I don't know how many of you know his final seven words that we have recorded, but they're repeated twice. God will surely take care of you. I'm thinking, wow, what a message. To think about how God has used uh, the saint family, and even Steve being where he is today. Steve would say, if he was here, God will surely take care of you. And he's done that and continuing through Jamie. And so I just give praise to the Lord because when you said you were going to talk about Joseph, I was thinking, end of his life, there's something I remember about that. I turned there, I'm like, that's what it is. God will surely take care of you. And that's true for you. If you're trying to decide about a mission trip or whatever the Lord would have for your life, um, I would encourage you to pray about it. The first chapel of every week at Southeastern Bible College, when I started attending in 1982 in the fall, the first chapel of the week was Missions Chapel. It wasn't President's Chapel. It was Missions Chapel. And every single Monday... We were challenged to missions over and over and over again. They had that right in front of, in front of you. And so I would just encourage you that that's one of the great privileges we have here at Grace, to have missions right in front of us. I encourage you to take that passport or those passports, both of them, 23, 24, look at them, pray about what the Lord would have you to do, and he will provide. Our God's a great provider, and he will provide. So you make sure you take a look at that. Uh, as you uh, leave today, that'll give you something to look at today and tomorrow and the next day and pray about that, all right? Uh, also, this morning, what we want to do, the way we want to close, we want to have all our missionaries come forward, and that means Jamie and Brian and everybody. Chris, he's, he's the new guy. I got to meet Chris today. It's wonderful to have Chris with iTech. We all come up, and then all our missionaries that are here today in attendance, and then the missions committee. If y'all could come to the front and just stand right here. Somebody start it. I mean, we're not going to go home until we get this done, all right? <laughs> so it's just the, this, it's what's going to go on. And Dr. Hughley, I'm going to ask that you'd make your way to the front. And um, before we have Dr. Hughley uh, close in prayer, um, I want to make mention also of the luncheon next Sunday. And y'all did a really great job uh, signing up this last week. But if you did not sign up, if you missed that opportunity, there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer for our fellowship after um, the church service uh, next Sunday morning, okay? Um, I thought that um, I would have the father of missions close our service. I told Dr. Hugh that I was supposed to close in prayer. I'm like, that's not right. The father of missions needs to close in prayer today. And so I'm so, so thankful for Dr. Hughley, and he's going to come, and he's going to close us in a word of prayer today. And after he uh, prays, you'll be dismissed. So why don't we all stand and let's uh, close in prayer this morning. Dr. Hughley. In the words of an old hymn, Lord, we're standing on holy ground. We thank you for our dear friends who are standing before us. We thank you for their hearts, for missions activity,
and the track records you have given them. We thank you, Lord, for the challenges they have faced and have sought to meet these challenges in the strength and energy of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for all of our missions family, some who will join us in the coming week. We ask you, Lord, that they will be encouraged in fellowship with us here and that we will be encouraged and inspired by their testimonies and their words and their examples. Lord, we are privileged to have the opportunity to be involved in summer missions activity. And we thank you for all of the energies being poured in, and we pray that from these efforts, many will go forth to the fields beyond, at home and abroad. And we pray, Lord, that from this congregation, as God is pleased, that you will put your hand upon young and old alike who might be useful for you and might be able to bring glory to you and to preach your word and the witness of salvation faith to nations beyond. We are challenged by the information we've heard today and the statistical data of the great need that prevails. God have mercy and raise up from this congregation. You have taught us to pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth workers. And we pray that this missions conference will be used of God to challenge and raise up new workers for the years or the time that we may have before our Savior summons us home to himself. Speak to young and old alike from the messages and from the communications we are hearing. And Lord, again, we lift up before you every one of our missionary friends standing before us and those who will join us later. They will be inspired, Lord, to see an example of a church that loves them, prays for them, and seeks to support them. And we just ask you that your blessing will rest upon the remainder of our conference, that it may accomplish your designs, Lord, and that it all will be for your glory. Again, we remember the Lord of the harvest who wants workers to go forth. We pray that from this place and other places that there will be a great host that will go forth to the mission fields of the earth. We humbly pray in the name of our Savior with thanksgiving. Amen.